Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1, where we challenge the assumptions of our current society to resist oppression and investigate alternative ways of living for a world based on justice, solidarity, and sustainability. Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1 Community Radio. You are with your host for today, Andy. Welcome back, Andy. Very good that you're back from the front line, eh? <laughs> uh, thank you. It's very good to be back here in the 4ZZZ studio, putting out the independent media that matters. Always glad to see Triple Z still going strong. And Ian, you've been keeping the paradigm shift going in my absence. Uh, yeah, I've had a lot of help too along the way. And we've got some good reports from John Jiggins, who's from Bay FM, and we're running, we'll be running a show about Julian Assange. His dad is coming to speak here in Brisbane, and that we'll be doing that in uh, early December. Um, yes, I've been up in central Queensland trying to stop a, a pesky coal mine, Adani's mega coal mine. Um, I've been living up there working with frontline action on coal but it's good to be back here and of course community radio is so important independent media is so important in creating a better world and getting the information that matters out and away from the obfuscation of for-profit media um, with its vested interests so Good you must be every- doing something right. You've got Adani to change its name to, what is it? Bravis. Bravis. Yes, that's right. Um, that is, but that's for another story. I might send down a report from the uh, climate front lines up there once I go back up there in the next few weeks. But today we're going to be talking about the Brereton Report, which was published yesterday by the Inspector General of the Australian Defence Force, Judge Brereton, uh, and it is a pretty serious and significant document about atrocities committed by Australian SAS troops, elite troops in Afghanistan. And it's quite remarkable. A lot of this stuff's been going on a long time. There hasn't been a, a kind of official acknowledgement. In fact, as we'll hear later on in the show, there's been prosecution of whistleblowers who have tried to talk about this. And so it's quite a remarkable report. We'll cover a bit of what's in it. I did speak with John Blacksland, who is an academic on defence and security matters at Australia National University. And I also spoke with Mark Davis, who is the lawyer of David McBride, who was uh, an Australian Defence Force soldier, intelligence analyst, who is currently facing prosecution for releasing what is known as the Afghan Files, some documents that were published by the ABC back in 2016 that contain some of the information that is also in the Burton Report. And so David McBride still being prosecuted for that. We'll hear from his lawyer, Mark Davis, um, and we'll cover a bit of 
what we've learnt about Australia's elite troops. I think we must put it into context of, um, you know, myself as being a a veteran of the anti-Vietnam War campaign and various other anti-war movements right through all the decades. It has to be put in the context of continual cover-up by both the Australian Defence Forces when they commit war crimes as far back as Vietnam and and by ministers of the government. So I know I'm familiar with um, academics talking anodyne statements about this matter and, and saying, oh, this is great that this report's come out, but it's got to be held in the context that, that successive governments and the... Uh, the hierarchy of the of the ADF have tried to cover this up, and it seems uh, absolute shocking that David McBride should be facing criminal charges for doing what any really decent, common sense, moral person would do. We'll cover more on those topics over the next hour. Stay tuned. This is a track from Killing Joke. This is Seeing Red. <laughs>
Killing Joke there with Seeing Red, great anti-war track on the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ. We are talking about the Brereton report into atrocities committed by Australian SAS troops in Afghanistan. We will get into um, a bit more um, detail about the Brereton report, but we might start off with uh, a voice of General Angus Campbell. He is the highest-ranked Defence Force person in Australia, the head of the Australian Defence Force, who gave a press conference yesterday about the Brereton Report, which was remarkably honest. For those of us who have come used, become used to sort of uh, defence covering up evidence of war crimes or other incidents, it was remarkable to hear these words from General Angus Campbell. Burton considered in detail 57 allegations of incidents and issues. He found there to be credible information to substantiate 23 incidents of alleged unlawful killing of 39 people by 25 Australian Special Forces personnel, predominantly from the Special Air Service Regiment. Those alleged to have been unlawfully killed were all people under control in lay terms, prisoners, farmers or other civilians. This shameful record includes alleged instances in which new patrol members were coerced to shoot a prisoner in order to achieve that soldier's first kill in an appalling practice known as blooding. Turning to the Inspector General's report, he found none of the alleged unlawful killings were described as being in the heat of battle. None were alleged to have occurred in circumstances in which the intent of the perpetrator was unclear, confused or mistaken. And every person spoken to by the inquiry thoroughly understood the law of armed conflict and the rules of engagement under which they operated. These findings allege the most serious breaches of military conduct and professional values. The killing, the unlawful killing of civilians and prisoners is never acceptable. It's my duty and that of my fellow chiefs to set things right. To the people of Afghanistan, on behalf of the Australian Defence Force, I sincerely and unreservedly apologise for any wrongdoing by Australian soldiers. I've spoken directly with my Afghan counterpart, General Zia, to convey this message. Such alleged behaviour profoundly disrespected the trust placed in us by the Afghan people who had asked us to their country to help them. It would have devastated the lives of Afghan families and communities, causing immeasurable pain and suffering. And it would have put in jeopardy our mission and the safety of our Afghan and coalition partners. That is Defence Force Chief Angus Campbell there talking about the Brereton Report um, and not holding back really in uh, talking about what it was. So just to recap there, some of the findings in this report, it's found that the mostly the Special Air Service, which is Australia's most elite uh, troops, who have been our main presence in Afghanistan, it should be said, 
there wasn't many general troops through the time. Like it, it was mostly SAS troops that stayed there uh, working with the US equivalent, which is uh, JSOC's Joint Special Operations Command, um, as well as the British SAS. But um, uh, what it's found is there's 23 different incidents that they have picked up as war crimes in which 39 Afghans have been were killed either by special forces or at the instruction of special forces. It also found the vast majority of these were prisoners of war and that these incidents were deliberately covered up. Uh, the other report is that none of these killings took place in the heat of battle against, you know, armed opponents or in uh, the adrenaline rush, the fog of war, the red mist. They all occurred in circumstances which, if accepted by a jury, would constitute the war crime of murder. None of the victims were um, combatants and there's a total of 25 perpetrators that have been identified either as principals or accessories to these murders, some of whom are still serving in the ADF. So that's the the basics of the Brereton Report. There, it's quite a long report, but a lot of it is redacted, as we'll hear later from John Blackson. That is because releasing the evidence to the public outside of court uh, would constitute contempt of court and may make it harder to prosecute the individuals. But so you get this report where page a lot of pages are blacked out. That's the essence of the report. One notable thing about it is that it does uh, absolve the kind of senior command of the army of any knowledge that these war crimes are being perpetuated and it just lays the blame at the lower ranking officers, which I think may be one of the, the controversial elements of the report. And I speak with that later um, with John Blackland about that. Um, but in general, it doesn't hold back, I guess, one thing you could critique is that by talking about criminal prosecution of individuals, which is probably fair enough when we're talking about murder, but it does uh, then absolve some of the blame from what is presumably a collective responsibility of the SAS and of the Australian military more broadly. If you've got this many incidents, and often we're talking about young men being placed overseas the first time in a strict hierarchy, being told what to do by people above, certainly as well as criminal prosecution, there needs to be a more broader questioning of the processes of the SAS and just the fact of Australia's presence in Afghanistan generally. Yeah, it does beg the question, of course, um, the political responsibility lies with successive governments of sending us what was our mission. He mentioned there at the end of his speech, um, you know, what is what was our mission? What about the political responsibility for sending troops to a needless war of terror against civilians? He mentioned those are, these are just farmers, their families that are being killed. They're not the protagonists of this war, you know, war of terror. Um, so why did we commit troops to this pointless theatre of war anyway? And that's one of the things Scott Morrison, as well as Angus Campbell, has come out very contrite about this as he contacted the Afghan Prime Minister and offered his apologies and everything. But uh, this, I mean, from the beginning of this war, it was unpopular. People said that it shouldn't have gone. It's been unsuccessful by any measure, you know, yep. sunk huge amounts of money and 
Afghanistan are potentially about to have a government that's mostly Taliban. Again, they're in negotiations right now to reform a government for the whole nation because much of the country is controlled by the Taliban still. And so, and yet we had politicians even in talking about this report, still defending the purpose of the Afghanistan war and sending troops there. I think that's one of the the broader um, questions that needs to be asked of is, you know, the old saying, all's fair in love and war. Is this kind of activity intrinsic to any kind of war, especially one that is highly secretive um, and that has, has gone on a long time, you know, a war without end and without sort of parameters of exactly so many people are killed like drones kill civilians all the time there aren't clear parameters of who are combatants and who aren't when they uh, suspect everybody of being a terrorist yep so <laughs> that's some of the I guess the uh, broader question I think there's a there's a lot of questions to be raised about this report um, as well as a lot of um, positives to come out of the fact that it, that it is there, I think, and that comes out in the interview I did with John Blacksland, which I'll play in a minute. Um, but I think, yeah, it requires a lot. And in terms of talking about a solution, beyond prosecution of individuals and beyond a, a kind of investigation into the culture of SAS, we need to talk about how do we stop wars that people knew at the beginning was going to be disastrous. <laughs> and, and that's a separate question, you know, of political power, of um, Australia's international relations, of the uh, access, you know, there were mass protests against the war at the beginning and all these kind of things. Um, so many questions still to be asked that aren't answered in this lengthy report. We might play another song and then we'll come back with my interview with John Blackson. This is Bad Day Down, sadly missed Brisbane punk band with Haditha Democracy assassinated the family here.
Bad day down there. Haditha, democracy assassinated the family here. It's the name of the song. You are on the paradigm shift on 4 Z. It is 24 past 12. And I spoke this morning to John Blacksland, who is an academic at the Australian National University in Canberra. Could you start by introducing yourself? Yeah, I'm John Blackson, Professor of International Security and Intelligence Studies at the Australian National University. Now, today we're talking about the Brereton Report into uh, potential war crimes committed by the um, SAS in Afghanistan. Can you tell us what are some of the significant findings in this long and mostly redacted report? Yeah, mostly redacted because a lot of the details are probably going to have to get picked up for criminal prosecution. Uh, And so to preserve the evidence, you had to black it out because if you put it out there, you then make it unavailable for usage in a criminal proceedings. Um, And it would be impossible to find a jury that you could, uh, you know, confidently say had not been privy to the information if it's out there without the redactions. So the redactions are completely reasonable. But essentially what we're talking about is 57 allegations, about 39 people killed, involving 25 Australian current or former serving military personnel, mostly in the SAS, uh, over a period of a number of years from the late, uh, from about 2009 to 2013, who were involved in what is uh, an absolute uh, travesty. Uh, it's a disgrace and it's something that has deserved and warranted the Chief of Defence Force's unreserved apology. The problem is, of course, that the overwhelming majority of Australian soldiers involved in Afghanistan operated honourably. They did their jobs with distinction uh, and as um, former Chief of Defence Force Admiral Chris Berry once described it, we're acting as a force for good. Of course, a lot of that good has been undermined by what we've just heard about and read about. It's really a stain on the reputation and legacy of the Australian Defence Force and on the nation. It speaks to a failure that's bigger than and deeper than the soldiers involved in themselves. It speaks to an inadequate sense of perspective on what we were committing our forces to do and the circumstances they would face. But it also speaks on the other side, to some positive aspects of our society, because this kind of report would never see the light of day in a closed society. Thankfully, Australia, as an open liberal democracy, is right to address these issues carefully, with deliberation, um, because the implications need to be considered very carefully and the responses need to be actioned, mindful of the need to contain the damage to the capability inherent in the Defence Force. So bottom line is, we need the SAS to work, We need to kind of excise the cancer, but we need to heal the body. We need it to be fighting fit. It's a critical national resource. So we can't afford to kill it off, or as some people have talked about, disbanding it. It's just not viable. But what the Chief of Defence Force is is right to focus on is the three issues he talked about yesterday. He talked about reforming the culture of the Special Operations Command, addressing shortcomings in command and governance arrangements, and holding to account individually and collectively those involved in perpetrating these barbarous acts. So when you think about it, the, the erosion of the moral compass that these revelations represent speak about also 
what I think is a half-baked conception of Australia's involvement on military operations in the Middle East. We, as a nation, really should be giving further thought to the cavalier approach taken in the past to committing military forces on operations, on open-ended operations, without clear missions and without compelling and viable strategies. And it's that that made the, that erosion of the moral compass possible. So that's something that goes beyond the Defence Force itself. It goes to the decision-making of successive governments over the last two decades, both sides of the aisle, uh, Labor and Conservative Liberal Coalition, uh, have made decisions that have been short-sighted, have not been visionary, have not been holistically weighing up the consequences of continuing to deploy the special forces time after time after time uh, to the point where, you know, we really shouldn't be surprised um, that uh, over time things would break down. Very interesting in the report, Professor Wetham, who's a Brit uh, ethicist, talked about an inappropriate metric of success, the enemy body count. Um, and he said, while it wasn't an officially a key performance indicator, many regarded it that way. And it was, so there was a real uh, a culture of secrecy, a culture of a, what, what a, a toxic competitiveness, of a warrior ethos that was too much about warrior and less about respectful Australian soldier. So, you know, there's some reform that's got to be undertaken. 143 recommendations from the Brereton report that the, the Chief of Defence Force said he's planning to implement. That's going to take time. I understand also they're going to have to set up a, a special uh, legislative provision for how they're going to take this to court uh, because the federal court doesn't have juries. And these, if you're going to take these people to court, we've got to presume innocent until proven guilty. Um, so how do you do that? It's complicated. It's going to take time. It's not going to happen overnight. I guess the the question is, and you have mentioned that the the government mission is an issue. Um, is it possible to just remove the actions of these SAS soldiers from the broader mission in Afghanistan and the broader uh, culture of the Australian Defence Force, or is there something intrinsic about it that leads to these acts? So it's a bit of both. Uh, We've got a culture in special forces that is too secretive, too elitist, too clubby. It's about excellence, ego and entitlement and cutting corners and bending rules that's led to this toxic competitiveness and that has been destructive of trust and of cohesion uh, and it's been led to this disgrace to the nation. So there's considerable institutional reform that's required. We need to actually change the way they operate and the way they think and the culture in which they've, they've been allowed to flourish. Now, to be fair, these incidents took place several years ago and over the last few years, ever since Major General Jeff Singelman was in the chair and subsequently Major General Adam Finlay as the commander of Special Operations Command, they have been actively mindful of what the Brereton report was likely to be coming up to say. They have been actively looking to reform internally uh, the the ways and uh, the, the organisation of Special Operations Command. They brought in David Irvine, who's a former Director General of ASIO and and previously of ASIS, a, a very competent, capable, informed, uh, you know, senior former senior bureaucrat to reflect on the culture 
and to reflect on on account measures of accountability. So that's a positive. As I say, you know, this is a bleak, bleak set of circumstances, but this is also, in some respects, a very good news story. It's a cathartic story because it's about the truth coming out, and this happens in an open liberal democracy like Australia. You know, there's still a lot of cynicism out there about the way the government operates and how it hides things, and it's right that we continue to be cynical about that to a point. But this, this is actually a, a really positive news story in the sense that it's telling us the truth and that it is acting on misdeeds of the past and looking to rectify and and fix up the ledger. So, as I say, you know, bleak, it's, there's a silver lining to a very, very dark cloud here. Uh, and and so there's cause for us to be moderately optimistic and still reasonably proud to call ourselves Australians, uh, although we need to have a long, hard look at our strategies about what we do and why we do it. He's been a soldier for a thousand years He's a Catholic, a Hindu, an atheist, a Jain A Buddhist and a Baptist and a Jew And he knows he shouldn't kill And he knows he always will kill you For me, my friend, and me for you He's fighting for the USA And he's fighting for the Russians And he's fighting for Japan And he thinks we'll put an end to war this way And he's fighting for democracy He's fighting for the Reds He says it's for the peace of all To die, and he never sees the writing on the walls. But without him, how would Hitler have condemned him at the how? Without him, Caesar would have stood alone. He's the one who gives his body as a weapon to a war, and without him, all this killing can't go on. really is to blame but his orders come from far away no more they come from him and you and me and brothers can't you see this is not the way we put an end to war bit of a classic Anti-war song there from a Canadian Indigenous folk singer Buffy St. Marie that is the Universal Soldier. 
You're on the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ. And we are speaking with John Blacksland, who is an academic at the Australian National University, about the Brereton Report into war crimes committed by Australian SAS soldiers in Afghanistan. Something that's not in the Brereton Report but probably should be asked is that 20 years after Australia entered the Afghanistan war, that country's still in crisis and is currently in negotiations with the Taliban to form government. Is that something that needs to be talked about, just the, the premise of the Afghan war and the fact that all these atrocities which have come from that and come from the culture of it probably could have been avoided by uh, not pursuing that war in the first place. Australia is a middle power, but we have, seem to have small power pretensions. Um, we really, if we're going to engage the United States constructively as a useful and constructive ally, we need to call it as we see it. We've got to stop just going along with them. When we see a mistake, when we see something about to implode, a good friend would tell them, hey, you know, that Iraq war thing, maybe it's not such a great idea. Uh, on the way you're conducting the Afghan campaign, can we have a say on the strategy, please? We didn't try. We weren't interested in doing that because we weren't committed, because we had an approach that's called, it was really very niche. And I've got a book coming out shortly called Niche Wars, Australia in Afghanistan and Iraq, 2001 to 2014, which addresses this question. It's going to be a free download from ANU Press. I commend it to you and your listeners. Uh, but uh, this is a big issue. Uh, we as a nation need to grip it up. This is not just the fault of those soldiers. This is something we as a nation need to own and rectify. It is. The Breton Report does stop short of laying the blame at those officers at the higher chain of command. Is that fair or is there some level of um, protection of privileged positions there? Yeah, no, it's a really good question. And he, the Burton, uh, made the point that commanders, while while he put the blame at the foot of, feet of the patrol commander level, that's where he said the criminal behaviour really was conceived and committed. Um, but the commanders nonetheless bear some responsibility for contributing to the environment in which war crimes were committed, most notably those in the SASR, who embraced or fostered what he called the warrior culture. And this is that, as I say, this kind of toxic, competitive, uh, uh, you know, blooding approach that's that's uh, actually quite distasteful and not something we as Australians want to emulate. Now, the bottom line is, though, that the special forces are expert killers, um, but it's restrained lawful killing. It's within the laws of armed conflict. It's in with the directions of government. It's within agreed terms of reference for the host government in Afghanistan. When you breach that, you breach the law. You then are subject to prosecution. And we're actually going to see that happen, which is, I think, painful and you know, it's quite a searing thing for the Defence Force and for us as a nation. But as I say, like cutting out a cancer, it's painful, but it's got to be done. On that regard, on the prosecution, and a lot of us want to yep. see action and effective action, um, yep. but there are, I understand, some legal obstacles, and you mentioned the need to rearrange the, the federal court, some legal obstacles to, to seeing that, as well as a concern that prosecution of individuals may not be the required change. Do you have anything to say on that? Well, it's not the only change. 
prosecution is part of the equation. But to think that that's going to solve it isn't that this the point. This is the whole thing about involving David Irvine in form of the Special Operations Command, about disbanding two SAS squadron, uh, about looking to undertake those three key issues of culture, governance and accountability. There are three big thrusts, culture, changing the culture in Special Operations Command, governance, governance I should say, improving uh, you know, command reporting and, and transparency and accountability of the individuals and of the units uh, and of the commanders as well. So there's a mixture there. It's, it's going to be ugly. It's going to be painful. Um, and it's not going to happen overnight. We need to make sure we expedite it quickly, as quickly as possible. But as I say, because of the various judicial and legal aspects of it, it's kind of it's not that straightforward. It's pretty complicated, so it will take time. Okay, thanks so much, John. Happy to help, Andy. Thank you for taking me on your program. That is John Blacksland there um, talking about the Barrington report. Um, into SAS war crimes. I think I probably should, at the start of the show, we weren't so clear about talking about what exactly some of these things are. So the two uh, elements of the report that have gained the most attention are what they've called blooding, which is this kind of initiation ritual into the SAS where uh, new young soldiers are sort of told to get their first kill by shooting in cold blood a prisoner of war. And so a lot of these incidents are um, referring to referring to blooding. The other thing that is common in the incidents is what they've called throwdowns, which is where somebody who is not a combatant is killed. They have a weapon placed with them um, so that when it's officially reported, you can say that that person was a combatant. And this was first reported on a long time ago by the ABC. Um, I remember watching, a, I think it was a Four Corners show nearly 10 years ago that talked about this practice. This practice. It was also brought up in the Afghan files released by David McBride a few years back. And so a lot of the incidents um, here um, uh, are that practice. There are a couple of other things. One of the other... Uh, ones that has been significant recently is uh, the the libel suit, the defamation suit that's going on between Ben Robert Smith, who is Australia's most decorated living soldier, he, uh, a Victoria Cross medal winner, who is suing uh, nine slash Fairfax newspapers for reporting on what they called war crimes a few years ago. And the specific incident they've mostly talked about is one that does come up in the Brereton Report where Ben Robert Smith uh, is accused of tying... They tied up an Afghan man called uh, Ali Jan um, and then kicked him off a cliff um, while he was tied up as this uh, an unarmed man. And so Ben Robert Smith is suing a nine for defamation, but... Um, that incident is reported on in the Brereton report and the while some of those details are redacted, they have been forced to be made available for that lawsuit um, because if nine if what nine reported was the truth, then it's not defamation. And so um, there was another one uh, recently the uh, earlier this year four corners released video um, that was released by another whistleblower who was a dog trainer um, in the SAS and there was what they called 
colloquially called the village idiot killing where they killed a disabled man um the, that was just working on a farm. He was pursued by the army dog and then ran away and then he was just shot completely unarmed. And so this is another one of the incidents. And so that's the kind of things that we are talking about um, in this um, in this report and some part of the reason why there's been this kind of response finally after many years after these incidents have happened from the government and from the... ADF. The point that you made right at the get-go of that interview with John Blaxland about it being a highly redacted report, I'm just looking through it now and I'm seeing all the redactions that you referred to there. I'd, I'd say one thing. Um, firstly, uh, the even the Australian Greens, when this uh, inquiry was set up, they complained about the terms of reference. Firstly, they said is it truly an independent inquiry when the person conducting the inquiry is a major general, so he's tied to the ADF? Uh, okay, he might be a judge as well, but he's tied to the ADF. And the second thing about the, those redactions is that um, it, 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 as the Greens pointed out, we need to know what is happening at all levels of command to understand how this these atrocities happened you know massacres um and that you know that the the public right to know is extremely important in this sort of situation because especially when the the generals and the politicians appear to have for several years tried to cover it up mm. and i think and one of the other things about the sas in particular as a regiment, is that it's so secretive, so secluded, it's these elite troops, their mission isn't reported on to even other troops and everything, and secrecy is a problem, you know? <laughs> Unless you've got a reason why something needs to be secret, secrecy is a problem and it builds this kind of culture, you know? And then when it comes out, everybody's shocked. But, um, yeah, I think John Blackson said it's not viable uh, disbanding the SAS, as some people have said. Well... It's pretty clear something needs to be done, and so um, uh, that's one of the effects. Um, I've got another interview with Mark Davis, who's the lawyer for David McBride, a whistleblower currently being prosecuted by the Australian government. I might play a quick bit of a track from Combat Wombat, and then we'll come back with Mark Davis. Minister of Australia Robert Hill says the government's continuing to talk to the US about Australia developing a missile defence system. Earlier this year, the government revealed it was considering whether a shield could be put in place to protect Australia against possible missile attacks. Star Wars. The Empire Strikes Back. War is terrorism. Star Wars. The Empire Strikes Back. War is terrorism. Star Wars. The Empire Strikes Back. War is terrorism. Star Wars. The Empire Strikes Back. The Empire strikes back to attack For what's it got to lose? Our bruise on the ego of the President And the residents of the Pentagon's military defence Extravagance, undermined by the strife Of an Arab with a pen not prepared to take his own life And everybody's home to roam End up pain created by capitalist gain A 
thighs warring on CNN again. Showdown of the lowdown, dirty rap versus a D-bag. He's all that in check shirt and riding chaps. The emperor has no clothes, there's no denying that. Let's take the power back without the flowers crap. These motherfuckers got me ready to snap. They only got their own back. We take our own back or seek fantasy as our dignity's attacked. Where you wanna end up, first place or last? Left suffocating as their rocket ship blasts. No life on Mars, but none here either. A global holocaust as they glide through the ether. I'm a believer, realist and truth seeker. Knowledge is power as it pumps through the speaker. Dismissal of a morally bankrupt leader is needed. Cause identities lie bleeding. Star Wars. The Empire Strikes Back. War is terrorism. Star Wars. That is a bit of Combat Wombat's Star Wars um, classic track, but we are running low on time. I'm going to jump to the interview I did with Mark Davis, who is lawyer for David McBride, uh, accused whistleblower from the SAS. Could you start by introducing yourself? Uh, David McBride's lawyer. So the SAS has been in the news in the last 24 hours of the report release of the Brereton Report and a lot of um, concern about the findings of the report. But one thing, I guess, that hasn't been so much in the public's eye is the fact that uh, there is an ongoing legal case about an SAS whistleblower, David McBride. Is this something that should be gaining more coverage than it has? Oh, it's getting a bit. I mean, people are understanding it now. We we can't shout from the rooftop side. He's He's actually in a criminal proceeding. Uh, but uh, I think the points will be very well made over the coming days. I mean, the parallel treatment of uh, David McBride is stark. On the, at the very time they're doing a release of this nature, the revelation that it's making, um, and, of course, you know, crying some tears or, or, or you know, suggesting... Uh, there's the, the, the support for the, you know, the brave whistleblowers. At the same time, David McBride, for revealing essentially the same material, which was the Afghan files that the ABC printed, uh, published, uh, is facing life in prison. Mm. And uh, that's at a trial that begins uh, at the moment in May next year. Now, a lot has changed in the last year or two. When they arrested him in 2017, there was complete secrecy over about, about Australia's behaviour in Afghanistan. They thought they were on a winner, shutting this guy down. But a lot has happened in the last couple of years, not the least of which was the Afghan files. And I think the political uh, mood has very r- rapidly shifted and, of course, uh, totally did a backflip uh, yesterday with the stunning um, report of Justice Brereton. So I don't want to be too pushy or too presumptive about what's going to happen next, but 2020 is a very different climate to 2017 when this wheels of prosecution were put in, into place by McBride. I'm confident if uh, they were making a decision today, would they charge McBride? I don't think they would. Um, but anyway, we're dealing with one that was started several years ago, and it won't stop. I mean, it won't stop. Uh, I can say from experience, uh, things don't get stopped easily. Now, if there's a, a political will, if there's a, a, a movement, if you if you wish, and uh, and government figures see it, uh, the stark contrast 
of how he's been treated. Um, I hope that uh, some act of generosity is is, is made. Mm. The Brereton Report and Defence Force Chief Angus Campbell and Prime Minister Scott Morrison have all been very remorseful, said that there's changes that need to be made and that there's a problem. If they really want to um, make right some of these wrongs, do you think that dropping the case against David McBride is a step that needs to be taken? Well, I would obviously I would applaud it if, if they did. Can I, can I give a bit of brief applause, though, actually, for the Brereton Report itself? and at the very least the manner in which it's being received by the government. I mean, this is an extraordinary report, and, and, and Justice Brereton has written in um, unusually frank terms. You know, we've seen reports before that remain essentially ambiguous, so, you know, and they don't, don't wish to draw conclusions, and, you know, they use sort of vague terminology. Um, that hasn't happened with Justice Brereton. It's... Utterly extraordinary, this report. Now, in my view, it totally vindicates Adam McBride, um, but I'm his lawyer. Uh, it's not my call. Um, and it's only a day after this report has come out. I, I hope that, uh, um, you know, senior figures, defence themselves, see the stark contradiction between their, their response to the report and the ongoing prosecution of Adam McBride. It seems obvious to me, but... Uh, um, it's not it's not my call. But overall, I'm pretty impressed this report came out. If it hadn't come out, this is the more uh, stark reality, if it hadn't come out, um, the bride and, and people like him, brave whistleblowers who, who, who take a, a moral stance, would continue to be you know, put through the, uh, uh, the meat grinder. That's what's been happening in Australia in recent years. You look at McBride, you look at... Bernard Caleri, Witness K. None of these guys are terrorists, that's for sure. Right? That's what we created, this type of legislation, this national security legislation. These are all men, and in the three instances I've used are men, um, who uh, are of the greatest um, um, honour. You know, they've all served their country in one way or the other, and... and reached a, an ethical impasse which they felt they were compelled uh, to reveal certain information. Now, in a year gone by, uh, they might have not been welcomed by the government, but they certainly would have been prosecuted and generally they would have felt the applause of the community. They're now being treated as if they're, you know, Al-Qaeda bombers. Um, I think that we've over-armed we've over the prosecutorial wings of our government and uh, they're, they're going in search of um, targets. Now, there's, an old, there's an old expression, if you build a you build a hammer, it goes looking for nails. That's its job. Mm. Um, if our listeners are concerned about the prosecution of whistleblowers like David McBride and want to stay informed or offer support in some way, how can they do that? Well, we run a lot on our website, Xenophon Davis. We, we, we run that and we run it through our uh, Twitter feed, Xenophon Davis. There is a GoFundMe page, and, and that's how David's funding his own defence, purely on, the, on, the, on public donations. Um, the legal team we're assembling are all doing it for very little money, but you still need money to run um, Supreme Court trials. Um, so it's the public that have kept 
Okay, thanks so much, Mark. That is Mark Davis, their lawyer for David McBride, who is being prosecuted for releasing what are known as the Afghan Files, um, which he released back in 2016, I think, to the ABC. And who knows, if he hadn't released them, it's possible that the Brereton Report released yesterday may never have been made. And yet there he is still facing some serious prison time. Um, So as we said there, um, stay informed about that and offer support if you can and i think ultimately that's what we've got to end on on this show is sadly running out of time but um what happens in the high echelons of the military behind the closed doors of the elite troops sas uh that's out of our control as ordinary people who are are horrified by what happens in the um in this report but what we can control is how do we make a a movement that can um, support uh, those who are doing the right thing, the whistleblowers, that can create government accountability and that can stop the next war before it happens. And that's where, you know, we need to talk about, well, how do you create people-powered change? How do we need a movement against war? It's hard work, but um, otherwise these kind of atrocities are just what comes from uh, a war and a, an endless militarization of our society and, uh, you know, putting soldiers as this uh, exclusive domain of society that aren't forced to obey normal uh, moral dictates. <laughs> um, and so that's what, yeah, we need a, a movement of people power to stop war crimes, not just an um, Inspector General report. Meanwhile, refugees from these needless wars have been locked up here at Kangaroo Point and now in Meriton Apartments down the road from the the station here. At 4.30 today, get on down to uh, KP Prison in Main Street at Kangaroo Point. There's another peak hour solidarity protest on there today. So we've got to keep up the pressure on the government and make sure that all of the questions are answered. We are out of time in the Paradigm Shift. We're going to go out with one last song from local artist Franz Dowling. This is Drone Lament. The US has been conducting drone strikes in Yemen for the last 16 years. The so-called signature strikes have aimed to suppress members of Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula. But the campaign has killed scores of civilians targeting houses, schools, hospitals, markets, and even wedding processions. They would kill two or three from Al-Qaeda on one hand, and 10 or 15 civilians on the other hand. Where's this Al-Qaeda they claim to be killing? There are many other incidents like ours due to bombs. They just kill us without even making sure that we are innocent or not. There are no reports of the precise number of civilian deaths due to the difficulty in confirming the identities of those killed. And the US government does not provide adequate explanations detailing their strikes. There are no better friends than the United States and Australia. Are you confident that Australian officials involved in intelligence transfers to the US through facilities like Pine Gap are immune from future accusations or allegations of assisting war crimes? I'm very confident without admitting any of the assertions or premises.